So we're in part two of this series, and here's basically what we began to talk about last week is there are multiple defining moments that kind of make up where you are in life right now. So some of those are really obvious, like your marriage is a defining moment in your life. For some of you, your second marriage was a defining moment in your life. For some of you, your third marriage was a defining moment in your life. Um, The birth of your kid is a defining moment. Um, Negatively, you have defining moments of like sophomore year, you end up in the back of a police car and you know at some level that's going to be a defining moment. But at some level, where you are right now is made up of a series of defining moments in your life. And here's what we said last week, and here's the whole context of this series, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, if you ever receive this invitation, that you have been invited into a relationship with the God of the universe, and through the work of Jesus, you have a divine destiny. You have a divine calling. That literally when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you are invited into a relationship where you live life to the full if you really follow him. Not free of pain, but I'm telling you, as you follow Jesus, it is the greatest adventure in the world. Like there is nothing like getting up, and it's not that you don't have stale seasons, but there is nothing like getting up and going, okay, Jesus, what do you want to do? Jesus, where are you working? Jesus, where do you want to get me involved with what you are already doing on planet Earth in my neighborhood and in my city? And I just want to tell you, if you haven't experienced that, you may be doing it wrong. You may have been in some environments where we presented the teachings and the life of Jesus and what it means to follow him in a way that Jesus never signed his name to. But I'm telling you, you have been given a divine destiny regardless of what your past looks like. You've been given a divine calling regardless of what defining moments you're dragging around. And you have been invited into life to the full. But here's what that is all contingent on. You seizing your divine destiny is always contingent and it always hinges on you seizing divine moments that are right in front of you. And here's what the scripture says, that there's only a limited amount of these. It's why you need to chase daylight while there's daylight. Because there's only, as a follower of Jesus, there's only so many moments to say yes. There's only so many moments to surrender. There's only so many moments to go, okay, I don't, I'm like 80% sure, but I'm stepping into it. There's only so many moments that you have been given and your divine destiny, your divine calling, what God has for your life, which is a hope and a future with what he's doing on planet earth. It all hinges on you seizing the moments that God's given you to go, yes, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to do it. Last week, we talked about that one moment that seems so ordinary, so insignificant. Jesus is on a hillside. He's got 12 guys, and it it just seemed like another day. They're in the middle of the desert, moving into Jerusalem, and he turns and says, who do people say that I am? And his disciples are like, people say you're all kind of, of crazy things, like a reincarnated John the Baptist. But then he turns to his guys, and he makes it personal, and Jesus says, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter turns and says these famous words, and in that moment, Jesus predicts that he's going to build a movement. He's going to build a gathering. He's going to build an assembly. He's going to build a growing movement of people around the message of Jesus that's going to change the world, and nothing's going to stop it. This thing called the church, not even hell is going to come against it, that not death, not Jesus' death, not the disciples' death, not the inquisitions, not the crusades, not all the crazy stuff done in the name of Jesus. Nothing is going to stop the movement of Jesus to the world. And as we said, 2,000 years later, here we are. 
and his disciples in that one divine moment that seemed anything but divine, meaning orchestrated by God, Jesus launched the whole thing. And we said that now, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have been invited to be a part of that. That literally, because the church is not something you attend, we are the church that you have been invited to play a part in your generation. And everything that we do as followers of Jesus is within that context. As we gather together to serve and to sacrifice and to help the marginalized and to introduce people to the message and salvation in Jesus. As we gather together, that is part of our divine calling and as we scatter, meaning we have been called to not just gather because the church isn't within four walls, we've been called to go. And so wherever you go, whether it's leading business, whether it's leading in the marketplace, whether it's parenting kids, whether it's working at a drive through window, whether it's creating art, whether it's involvement in entertainment, whether it's leading a board somewhere, whether it's leading a lawn company, whether it's something that is seemingly so mundane, you have been called as part of your divine calling to move forward, to rep the fame and the majesty of Jesus. And it hinges on us gathering together and then us spreading out. It's all within the context of we are the church. We've been called into this extraordinary movement. But more than that, you have been given an extraordinarily specific role to play. And again, it doesn't just hinge on what happens in here, though that's a huge part of it. It also hinges on what happens out there. But I'm just telling you, it's all throughout the scripture. God has given you a very specific, a very personal calling. Now here's the thing that gets in the way of this, and this is what I want to talk about for a couple minutes is that it is so easy to miss your divine calling because you have misinterpreted a whole bunch of divine moments. And you're sitting around and you're waiting for the epic and what is right in front of you looks really, really ordinary. And Jesus is going, I just want you to say yes to this first. I just want you to surrender to this first. I just want you to step into this first. And I know you're looking for some kind of writing in the sky, some huge God moment where you're emotional and you just know like that's him. But I'm just telling you, I rarely even speak that way. I work in this. And you're waiting for the epic and I'm right here in the ordinary and you have no idea of what may happen if you just seize the next divine moment. You have no idea when that is going to be the linchpin that is going to lead you to God's calling for your life. And in the moment, it never seems extraordinary. Like you're on the front end of something right now of saying yes, of yeah, you need to go, yeah, you need to risk, yeah, you need to surrender. And there's nothing about it that seems like it's going to change the trajectory of your life. But all throughout the New Testament, you see, those are actually the moments. In fact, here's what I put in my notes, that stepping into your divine calling happens by seizing a hundred ordinary divine moments. The moments that are right in front of you. This is the whole um, story of Jesus calling his disciples. If you were to rewind backward from what we talked about last week, when the whole thing got started and Jesus started his ministry, and he calls his disciples to, hey, I want you to come follow me. This is what it looked like. Like we have the idea that it's just kind of one moment and they just knew and it was, yes, this is the moment to come down the aisle and throw my stick in the fire and surrender my life. But, but it was a bunch of ordinary moments that led them into this place where finally they discovered their destiny, their calling, and what God had for their lives. 
But the interesting thing is, as you look at the Gospels in this account specifically of when Jesus first initiated and called his disciples to follow, there's several different versions of the writing, not in terms of contradictory, but Mark gives one version, Matthew gives one version, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke gives the other version, uh, what are the Gospels again? And so... Um, they all write about it, and Mark gives one version that honestly seems really unrealistic. Because Mark, again, it's not contradictory, but he just doesn't give all the detail. He gives kind of the snapshot, like Reader's Digest version, and nobody actually in this room knows what Reader's Digest is, or like 50% of you don't. Um, but here's how it all went down. It just seems so unrealistic, and I think sometimes we can get the wrong idea. Here's what Mark says. This is Mark. He interviewed Peter. He's like, let me tell you um, how this went down. In Mark 1, verse 16, he says... This, and this seems, I just tell you, this seems so insane. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake because they were fishermen. In verse 17, these famous words Jesus said, Come and follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. <laughs> verse 18. And at once they left their nets and followed him. You are crazy. Like what? Like you don't, you don't even know the guy. At once they left their nets and followed him. In verse 19, and when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat too, by the way, with their father, which is important. And they're preparing their nets. They have a family business. It's incorporated. They've done this for a while. In verse 20, and without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed Jesus. Hey, Jesus. I'm following you. Dad, good luck with the family business. I'm going with the guy in sandals. Hope it works out for you. Hope you can keep it afloat. Like what? Like that doesn't seem spiritual. That seems irresponsible. Because Mark doesn't give us all the details. And here, one more thing, though, before I move on, because I want to read Luke's account. Here's what you do get from this account, this passage, and this narrative. And it's this. And you see this throughout the Gospels is that at some point along the way, your calling and your comfort are not going to be able to coexist. That in fact, the enemy in many cases to your divine calling and what God has for your life is your comfort. And we've said this so many times, but we love to stay in a place of comfort because it's comfortable. It's almost never healthy. In relationships, in business, in ministry, and just life in general. In fact, and this isn't in my notes, this is always dangerous when I go off, but just quick theology lesson. Jesus didn't even come to make you comfortable. You know who the one is that comforts according to the scripture? It's the Holy Spirit. Like we've been given the Holy Spirit who convicts, who leads, who comforts us. And then as you look at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was sent to confront like over and over again, he's like, hey, listen, I didn't, I didn't come to make you comfortable. I came to confront, and we should be really glad he did because he's constantly moving into our lives and our situations and our circumstances going, hey, listen, I just want to blow that up. I just want to make you uncomfortable. I, I just want you to know that this isn't the way that I've called you to follow, and I have something much better for your life that intuitively you are not going to walk in, so I just need to get up in your face a little bit. I just need to let you know, and this is not an enemy to my grace. 
This is not an enemy to my care. It's actually a result of my care that whether you're a Pharisee or whether you're the guy that walked away 10 years ago, I'm going to, because I love you, I'm going to confront you. I'm going to move you out of your comfort zone because it is not healthy and I have so much more for your life. It's why at the center of the church, I don't know if I can say this, we're not really trying to make you comfortable. Like, we want you to have a good experience. We want your kids to be safe. We want Taco Bus to be on the premises. We want all of those things. But at the end of the day, there needs to be some Jesus who's confronting what we think is the way. Because I'm telling you, left to our own way, in many cases, we have enough history to know we are off the rails. And so the Holy Spirit came to comfort. Jesus did not. And so Luke 5, 1, Luke is writing to Gentiles, and he gives us more details because he knew Gentiles would be like, okay, Mark, that's an insane story. I'm not doing that, so you've got to give me more detail, and Luke gives us more detail. Are you still with me at the 1045? Because it is difficult to tell. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and, and this is where Luke gives us more detail. The Luke who, I thoroughly investigated all this stuff. With the people crowding around him, because this is like the height of Jesus' ministry tour, and they're listening to the word of God. Let me say it one more time. What's this word? They are listening to the word of God, which already that's more information that Mark gives us. And this is huge. Let me just camp out for a second, and then we'll keep going, and I'll pick up the pace. But this is massive, because your calling, what God has for your life, seizing your divine moment, it is always going to start with information. In fact, the whole journey of Jesus begins with information. And some of you podcasting, listening on radio, online, or in the house, this is where something has been told to you that you just do not find in Scripture. I've said this to you before, but I want to repeat it. Christianity following Jesus is not faith in faith. It is not just, well, I just need to believe. I just need to have faith. Faith in what? Well, I just need to have more of it. I just need to believe. I just need to have faith. No, no, no. This is an informed intellectual faith. This is not just believe something or not just have more faith. And in fact, I would tell you this real quick. If you're in an environment or you've been in an environment where you can't question it, you should leave it. If you're in an environment where you can't question it, you should leave it. Because I'm just going to tell you, the scriptures and the message of Jesus can stand up against all of your questions and all of your doubts. It's why for some of you, can I just speak to parents for a second? I love you. If, if you've got students specifically, it's why you need to prioritize getting them in environments like we create here in Velocity. We work really hard at this where there are safe environments and it's small and they have a leader that they trust. And we can create the context for them to be able to ask questions and question things along the way and be guided by somebody else that they trust. And that is massive because I'm just going to tell you, at some point along the way, they're going to have questions. At some point along the way, they're going to have doubts. And it's why you need to prioritize getting them into a group and in a context where they can share those because they're not with you. And it's somebody they trust. That needs to be a priority for you even more than dance and soccer is. Because there is going to be huge implications for their future. And faith is an, or following Jesus is an intellectual, informed, based faith. Last thing, I said this to you Last week, and I say it all the time, but the epicenter of Christianity is not faith in a set of beliefs. Every religion has faith in a set of beliefs. But faith in an event, the resurrection of Christ. Like, it starts by faith, but it's not because of faith. 
It's why throughout the scriptures over and over again, Peter and other guys, Paul specifically is going, hey, so that you can know, so that you can know, so that you can have something anchored in history. This is not just have more faith, just believe, believe what? Just believe, believe it more, just believe and it'll come true. No, no, no. I want you to believe that something happened in history. Jesus rose from the grave. It's documented, it's undeniable, and then that leads to faith in the person of Jesus. But you can know because something happened in history, and this is in intellectual informed faith and if somebody ever tells you don't ask questions and just follow you need to stop following them and you need to find a different place in fact this is so important in terms of your calling your divine calling because your divine calling always begins with information and you may be on the verge of a decision right now. You may be wrestling with something. It doesn't seem that big a deal. It doesn't seem that significant. It doesn't seem like it's going to change the trajectory of anything. But I guarantee you, God is working and God is unraveling in terms of where he's ultimately leading you. Because he's never going to ask you to take a blind, unintellectual step of faith. In fact, one more thing, just in terms of your calling, is that your divine calling is always within your competency. How honest can I get? How honest can I get? Okay, don't let it leave the room. But this is just my, this is like my angst. Your calling is always going to begin with information. It's always going to fit within your competency. I'm so tired of Christians who like coffee, starting coffee shops with no business acumen or marketing skills. If you like coffee, go to Starbucks. Do not start a coffee shop. Because your competency is always going to be at play when you're talking about your divine calling. And yes, God is going to stretch you. And yes, God is going to take you out of your comfort zone. And yes, God is going to do more than your natural capability. But come on, some of you, it, like it's got to be within your competency. If you've never been able to do it before and you have zero skills in that area, that's not for you. You need to find what God has called you to do and allow him to lead you and allow him to lead your life. It's always based on information. I spent enough time there. And then verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And this is a long process. Like they have to get the nets. They have to get all the seaweed and beer cans out of them. They've got to put them up on these huge posts. They've got to dry out. They've got to fold them up. And they've got, got to get ready for the next day. So this is a massive process. And so they're washing their nets. They're done. They've just fished all night. And Jesus got into one of the boats, verse 3, because if you're Jesus, you just kind of, I'm not going to ask permission, I'm just going to commandeer a boat. He got into one of the boats, and this is so powerful, the one belonging to Simon Peter. And he asked Peter to put out a little from shore. And then just real quick, ordinary request, hey, Peter, I'm not asking you to leave everything. I'm not asking you to abandon it all, and then we write a song. I'm not asking for, you don't, you barely know me. I'm just asking in this moment, would you just allow me to inconvenience you? That, that's, Peter, that's all I want. That's all I'm asking. Can I get into your boat? Would you push out from shore? And would you just trust me with this one thing? And Peter had no idea. This is so insignificant, so ordinary. There's nothing epic about this. Just can I inconvenience you? And then he sat down, Jesus did, and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, not leave everything, 
but put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, they had just fished all night. They're professional fishermen. This is what they do. It's family business. Have you ever worked an eight or ten hour day? There's no worse feeling than feeling completely unproductive. So they get done. They've just, they just figured everything out. They've got their nets drying. And, and Jesus asks, okay, Peter, I know you fished all night, um, but would you throw your nets out, which was an insane request because everybody knew on those lakes that you fished at night, the water's cool, the fish go to the surface. But here's the essence of Jesus' request, Peter. I want you to do something that you have done a thousand times, but I want you to do it a different way than you've ever done it before. I want you to do something that you could do with your eyes closed. I want you to do something you've done a thousand times, but I want you to do it in a different way than you've ever done it before. And so Jesus says to Peter, okay, Peter, would you, would you just go fishing with me? Would you, would you just trust me with this? And fish when you're not supposed to. And again, I know you know, and I know you've done this a thousand times. I want you to do it in a way that you've never done it before. And Peter's got to be sitting there, and he's not going to say this, but really? Like, you're a carpenter. Why don't you stick to building tables? And I'll fish. Like, I'm a professional fisherman. And he's got to be thinking too. And everybody's going to think this is crazy. Like Jesus, one other thing. Like I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a massive crowd that's gathered. Like everybody's going to think I'm crazy. The Yelp reviews alone are going to end my business. And there he is. And this is so, so powerful in retrospect. But this is the tipping point. Like this, this is the moment. And in that moment, what was at stake was whether Peter could trust Jesus. So Peter says, but because you say so, not because I think this is going to work out, not because this is going to benefit me, not because this is going to help my reputation, actually the opposite is going to happen. But I've seen just enough. I've experienced just enough. I've heard just enough. I don't know what you're doing. But the only reason I'm doing this is because you say so. And because of that, I'm going to let down my net. Now, to go back to last week, imagine what Peter doesn't know in this moment. This is, this is rewinding back before everything we talked about last week. Peter has no idea he's going to be one of those guys on a hillside and Jesus is going to look to him. And it's one of the few times Peter got it right. He's going to say this answer that is going to be recorded in the annals of history. It's going to be part of the most widely read literature in all of the world. It's going to be the epicenter of this new movement. He has no idea what he's going to be a part of. He has no idea what the future holds. I mean, imagine in this moment all that he doesn't know. Imagine in this moment for Peter, this ordinary moment, hey, would you let down your net and would you go fishing with me? Imagine what hangs in the balance of that one moment. Imagine what is at stake. The only reason you know the name Peter is because in this moment when it was seemingly insignificant, this is not going to change the trajectory of my life. It's just another day, but this Jesus guy is interesting. And Peter said, okay, in that moment that he had no idea was a divine moment, he decided, I'm just going to trust you with this one thing, even though I have no idea, no idea 
what it's going to mean for my future. I mean, come on, to, to go to last week, I mean, what if, what if Jesus would have just said to Peter in that moment, hey, Peter, let me just tell you what's up ahead. Let me just tell you what's going to happen. Hey, Peter, in 2,000 years, they're going to build this in your honor. Hey, Peter, you don't know this, but, but there's going to be a point where there's this thing called Nero's Circus, and, and it's going to be a place of un, unparalleled suffering, unparalleled Unparalleled torture, unparalleled, excruciating pain where Jesus followers, followers of the way are going to be put to death. But then in 2,000 years, Peter, just so I can let everybody know and just for it to be a sign that I'm going to overcome everything and everyone and my message is not going to be stopped, you're going to have this epic thing made in your honor right over Nero's circus just to prove to everybody nothing's going to stop my message. Nothing's going to stop my movement. Hey, Peter, look at the outside of this thing up close. This is going to be dedicated to you. Hey, Peter, this is your moment. Oh, Peter, one more. Look at the inside of this. Everybody's going to know your name. Nobody's going to know the name of the emperor during this time when this is happening, Claudius. Everybody's going to know about you, Peter. You're going to change the world. Hey, Peter, will you take me, fi- will you take me fishing? And Peter's like, heck yes, I'll take you fishing. <laughs> Come on. He had no idea what hung in the balance of seizing that one divine moment, that one single decision. Because oftentimes what we're waiting for in the epic, God is wrapping up in the ordinary. And we never know which step of ordinary obedience in an ordinary moment is going to be a divine moment that will be the linchpin for God leading us to our divine calling. And Peter had no idea. And the same is true of a lot of you. You're right on the verge of a decision. You're right on the verge of, am I going to follow Jesus into this? You're right on the verge of, am I going to handle this relationship differently? Am I going to risk and step out? Am I going to? Am I going to say yes? Am I going to surrender? And you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your yes. You have no idea who hangs in the balance of your yes. And for some of you, if we can just speak honestly, which we try to do every week, you've been following Jesus for a long time. I'm not talking about those of you who are new in this whole thing, but you've been following for a long time. You've gained a lot of information, and you are so bored and visionless. And there's something that he's been leading you toward for a long time, and you just can't keep stiff-arming, keep stiff-arming, keep stiff-arming. It's not that big a deal, but you have no idea what God wants to do. You have no idea what God is up to with that single decision. Peter had no idea what hung in the balance. And so in verse 6, Peter, because you say so, I'll let down the nets in verse 6. When they had done so, not believed so, not intended so, not prayed so, We have a lot of churches and Jesus followers who are praying their way right past divine moments. Because at some point, you got to run some plays. At some point, you got to get up and do something. At some point, you got to be, I'm 55% sure that's enough. 
At some point, you've got to risk. At some point, you've got to go, okay, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do that. And a lot of times, we're huddling around, patting ourselves on the back because we believe the right stuff, or we're praying about things, or we have good intentions. But it's only when you are willing to step out and do it that God can begin to interact and God begin, can begin to unfurl his calling and his desire and his will for your life. And so when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, many of you know this, that their nets began to break. So verse 7, they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And in verse 8, I love these verses. When Simon Peter saw this, he said, we're about to have a pile of money. Let's go on vacation to Capernaum and then look at franchising this model. And immediately, Peter offered Jesus a five-year contract and 35% ownership of the company with a five-year non-compete upon termination of the contract by either party. I love to just watch some of you because there's that literal look of, is that in there? It's not in there. You should... Get a Bible, download the app, I could tell you anything. Verse (laughs) 8. When Simon Peter saw this, just a quick question, what would you do? What would you do? What would you do? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And suddenly... Fish was the furthest thing from his mind. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. New title. First it was, hey, master, we've worked hard all night. And all of a sudden, Peter gets here, go away from me. New title. Not just master, not you have some kind of authority, but this title of ownership, this title of, okay, I have a window into who you are, Lord. And it's really interesting, like, well, did Jesus suddenly change who he was? Well, in one sense, no. But to Peter, in another sense, yes. Everything changed in this moment. And then Peter says something really interesting when he says, go away from me. Like, why? Like, why would he say that? And, And Peter tells us, because I am a sinful man. Like, it's that moment where Peter's like, We're standing inches away, but we're nowhere close. And in this moment, Peter has the idea that all of culture had and what has still infiltrated its way all the way to 2018, that that Peter had the idea that everybody had that, that God distances himself from sinners. And because God distances himself from sinners, I'm going to distance myself from God. And in this moment, Peter recognizes, okay, you are, you are from God. Somehow you are connected with God. Somehow you have an authority that is over everything. And so if that's true, if you're from God, culture just tells us that God distances himself from the bad people, from the sinners. And we've got to distance ourselves from him. And little did he know 
that Jesus was right in the middle of launching a brand new way for man and God to relate that would change everything. Little did he know that around that new relationship between God and man, God would birth a brand new movement to the world. And little did Peter know that not long after this, he would stand on a dusty hillside and he would actually speak the defining words of this movement around this new relationship for all people that you do not have to distance yourself from God because God has not distanced himself from you. He came to seek and to save sinners and that's all of you because there's just Jesus in everybody else. And Peter in that moment has no idea what's going on or what's at stake or what Jesus is up to. Verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, and he said this over and over and over again. Hey, Peter, hey, guys, with whatever's next, with all the uncertainty that is ahead, with all the unknowns on the other side of what's happening right now, for you in 2018, with all the uncertainty on the other side of that, yes, and will you, and will you surrender? Do not be afraid. Hey, hey guys, you've seen me overwhelm and overpower disease. You've seen me command nature. Eventually, you're going to see me rise from the grave. There's nothing to be afraid of. Hey, guys, one day, everything is going to bow to me. One day, disease is going to bow to me. One day, all cultural systems are going to bow to me. One day, every president and every king and every kingdom, it's going to bow its knee to me. Every bit of opposition that you face, it's going to bow its knee to me. I am going to conquer and I'm going to defeat death and I am over everything. Guys, with whatever uncertainty you feel in this moment, look at me. Do not be afraid. And then, and then he says, from now on, meaning, I couldn't tell you what I had for you. I couldn't tell you what was up ahead. I couldn't begin to communicate your divine destiny and your divine calling until you were willing to take a step of faith. It was only on the other side of, okay, Jesus, I have no idea what you're doing. Jesus, I have no idea what you're up to. Yes, I'll loan you the boat. Yes, I'll take you fishing. I have no idea what's at stake. I have no idea what you're doing with this. I have no idea where you're leading me, but I'll just trust you. And Jesus is like, it wasn't until that moment of trust that now... I can tell you, I've got something for you. I have a divine destiny for your life. I have a divine calling, but I needed you to trust me first. So from now on, you guys are going to fish for people. Let's go change the world together. And so they pulled their boats up onto the shore. All the information that Mark doesn't give us. And then they left everything. And they followed him. And these four guys died with nothing, including regret. 
not because of just one epic moment, but because of a series of moments where they were willing to go, okay, Jesus, we're just going to trust you with this. Jesus, we're, we're just going to take this one step. Okay, Jesus, I'm just going to do this. I don't really know what you're up to until finally they got to the point where they saw enough, where they heard enough, and they gave up everything, and they followed Jesus. And you would have too. And I would have too. But, but here's where I think the tension is created where we look at that narrative and go, okay, yeah, well, if Jesus would do that for me, yeah, I'd follow him. Yeah, I'd surrender this moment. Yes, I'd say yes. Y yes, I'd step. I mean, if, if Jesus would do that, yes. And I think if Peter showed up, I, literally, I think you'd be like, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you freaking serious? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you understand what he has done for you? Do you understand the gravity of what he did on your behalf? Like you should. I wrote you two letters. Did you read them? Like if Peter were to show up, I think he would just read like, hey, let, let me just remind you real quick because some of us are, are kind of in a culture where it so loses its power. It, we so miss it and we're looking for all of these epic moments and missing the ordinary divine moments where God is leading us, where God is showing us, where God is directing us. He's already done something epic. And so if Peter were to show up, the Peter who just kept taking steps until he was willing to abandon everything, I think he would just remind us of this in 1 Peter 2, 23, like, hey, you should read my letters. Let me tell you and remind you how this went down. Let me tell you what God has done. Are you still with me at the 1045? Let me just hear you, please. Peter's like, when they hurled their insults, let me just remind you, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. Peter's like, let me just remind you of what Jesus has done. I was there. I saw this. Have you ever seen a crucifixion? Have you ever smelled the smells of a crucifixion? Peter would be like, have you ever listened to the screams of a grown man who is agonizing and calling out for his mother? Have you ever heard what that sounds like? I was there. And I watched my friend Jesus. Crucified on a cross. He didn't say anything. In fact, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And Peter, it would be like, and, and it was the most unjust thing imaginable. And somehow in that moment, Jesus was able to know that it was a part of a bigger moment. And Peter would be like, and, and we were terrified. Like when the Roman guards showed up in the garden, I mean, we were losing our minds. I was pulling my hoodie up over my head and denying Jesus to a middle school age girl. I mean, we were terrified. And then there was a moment where it all made sense for us in verse 24 because we realized he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins. Meaning, the most simple explanation possible is 
is before this, we were dead to God in essence because sin separated us from God. And then with what Jesus did on the cross, no longer were we, were, were we dead to God. We were dead to separation from God and we were dead to the thing that kept us from God, which was sin. And if we place our faith and trust in him, that we have relationship, we are dead to that sin. Nothing is ever gonna alter or undo that relationship and there's no condemnation in Christ. And there was a moment where we realized what he was doing. He bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and we might live for righteousness, that we might be able to live fearlessly because we watched him command nature and we watched him command disease. What do we have to be afraid of? And by his wounds, we've been healed. We have been restored. And Peter would be like, listen, helping me catch fish, that's nothing. Willingly dying of crucifixion for the sins of the world, that's massive. And on the other side of that, you're not willing to surrender to Jesus in this next moment? Like, come on, fish? Are you kidding me? Dying for the sins of the world, giving his life for you, you should follow him. Giving his life for you, you should surrender to seizing the divine moment that is right in front of you. And here's the thing, and you see this throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament. This is the journey of following Jesus, that when Peter made that one simple decision, and again, he didn't know in most of those decisions what was at stake or what was up ahead, but he's just, okay, in this one decision, this one divine moment, God, I'm just going to trust you. And what happened when Peter was willing to take that step is his little bit of faith, and this is the journey, intersected with God's faithfulness, and it changed everything. For some of us, intellectually, we know and believe that God is faithful and that God is good, but we've never done anything to experience it. And he's going, listen, when you take a step to go, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to surrender. Yeah, I'm going to be a part of your bigger picture. Yes, I'm going to order my life around it. When you're willing to do that, I'm telling you, something happens that you will never get from words on a page. You will understand whose you are in that moment, and your faith will intersect with his faithfulness, and he will become more real than ever before in your life. And I want you to experience that. And as we get ready to close, here's just the question. Who's made you a better offer? Who's made you a better offer? And right now, your divine moment is the moment that is right in front of you. For us as a church, our divine moment is the moment that is right in front of us. Will we be faithful? Will we step out of the cultural, socio-cultural just I'm going to stay comfortable and I'm never going to risk and I'm never going to step out in faith. Will you in your individual life, will you step out and stop waiting for something epic because God's divine moment to unleash your calling is going to, in many cases, look really, really ordinary. And so for some of you to just to draw from the passage, here's where you're at today. You just, you just need to start by loaning him the boat. He's not asking you to leave everything and follow him. You barely know him. But will you inconvenience yourself in that one area? For others of you, you're at this stage right here that you, just, you need to take him fishing. 
Here's what I mean by that. There, there is something that you've done a thousand times, and he's asking you to do it right now, this time, in a different way than you've ever done it before. It's a relationship. There's been a thousand moments in that relationship. You've seen each other a thousand times. You, you, in this moment, you're called, you need to go forgive. It's 80% their fault. I get it. Shh. You need to go forgive. You need to go reconcile. You need to go reach out. I know, I know you've been there a thousand times. I want you to do, do it different than you've ever done it before. This is my moment for you. For others of you, it's, it, it's around the sexual ethic that you've been You've been gravitating for the, the cultural sexual ethic that you just, the cultural majority thinking that you're just going along with. And some of you are in that place right now and you are not happy. I'm not saying you're not having fun, but you are not happy. And God's calling you to something. And, and it doesn't look epic right now. It doesn't look like it's going to change the trajectory of your life. But I'm just telling you, it's the moment right in front of you that God wants to use. And he's like, hey, stop looking down the road and stop looking over here. Until you say yes to this, until you trust me in this. For some of you, it's an area of generosity. That you need to be, begin to give to your local church to help expand the mission of God in our cities, in our neighborhoods of people who need to know that they are loved, that there is an answer to the question of what do I do with my, with my past. For some of you, it's, it's outside of that. It's some other area where God is just calling you to unclench your white knuckled hands and go, God, I just want to be generous. For others of you, it is a very specific decision. For some of you, Jesus followers, I, I said this before, you are and I say this in love, you're so bored. You're so visionless. It's such a routine. And here's my advice to you. Just do something. You only need to be 10% sure, just do it. And God will direct. Just that will be a step of faith. But somehow you need to root yourself out of this just comfort that you are standing in where you've become so inoculated to the grace and the majesty and the goodness of Jesus and what you've been called to do with the little bit of breath that you have. Just do something. And you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to just go, okay, yes scared to death and your savior says to you do not be afraid and this may be the linchpin this moment that leads you to your divine calling and what I want for your life so will you trust me and then lastly some of you you're at the place where you've seen enough you've heard enough you, you've you've acquired enough You've learned enough. In fact, you could probably do yourself a service and hit the pause button on a few Bible studies and podcasts. You've got enough information. It's time to leave whatever you're hanging on to, whatever your net is, whatever that source of security. This is all I know. This is all I've ever done. Like, it is time. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't even need to tell you. I'm being, I'm being purposefully vague because you know exactly what it is. That's why some of you are uncomfortable. You know exactly what you need to say yes to. You know exactly what you need to surrender to. You know exactly where Jesus is leading, to, leading you toward. And it's time for you to leave your nets. And so as we close, what is your next yes? What is God calling you to surrender to? And where do you just need to say, I'm in? Because God always 
clarifies in the midst of ordinary steps of obedience and never beforehand. And so God's divine moment for you is wrapped in the ordinary moment that's right in front of you. And it is, am I going to say yes? And this feels so insignificant, but many of us have the story that that literally could be the catalyst for all that God wants to do in your life. He can do way more with one simple, ordinary act of trust than you can even imagine. And you'll never experience what happens until you are willing to trust and you do not have any idea of what hangs in the balance and who hangs in the balance. And as we close, I say this to you all the time, but you don't wanna get to another season of your life. You don't wanna have some more moments pass you by and wonder what God might have done. As a church, this keeps me up at night. We don't wanna get to another season and wonder what God might have done. And other people pat us on the back and it looks decent and we're doing our thing, but we know we didn't leave it all on the table. We never risked, we never sacrificed, we never moved out. We don't wanna get to the end and wonder, I wonder what God would have done in my family. I wonder what God would have done through this calling. I wonder what God would have done if I would have trusted him with that. I wonder how God would have moved if I would have said yes back then. Would you guys stand with me all over the house? With your heads bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, I just pray that you right now in this moment would work in our hearts in our lives, wherever we are at. And I pray more than anything else, and we pray this every single week, that Lord, every time you call, every time you invite, it is based on an invitation that has grace and your scandalous love at the epicenter of all of it. Lord, all you want for us, and I pray that this would be heard even this moment, is to lead us into something better. And intuitively, we don't come to that conclusion on our own. We've struggled since the Garden of Eden, thinking that we know what is best to move our life forward. But God, just in this moment, give us the ability to surrender to you, to say yes to you, to step out with whatever the risk is and just go, Jesus, I don't know how this is gonna impact my future, but yes. And Lord, I pray for that as a church. I pray that we would be willing to do anything short of sin, to reach people who are far from God. I pray that we would be willing to risk everything. I pray that we would be willing to sacrifice. I pray that we would have in view one goal and one mission, and that is glorifying Jesus through turning our city upside down with his message that there is life and there is hope. And so God, wherever we are, speak to us specifically. Give us wisdom to know what exactly you want us to do. And then just give us the courage to do it. And we pray all of this in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen.